but um, a message that I still think is very pertinent for our time. Uh, There are a lot of funny things to be said for this time of year, and I notice that there are a lot of funny things that are said this time of year. It's kind of like Christmas does something to a lot of people. You can either, yep, see, you can either laugh about it, or you can get run over by it. And it may, see, here we go. So it makes you, first, on one end, feel like a kid, and then it also, on the other hand, makes you age faster than you would like. Speaking of being a kid, of course, you've heard of the three stages of a man, I'm sure. Uh, They are, first, he believes in Santa Claus. Second, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And third, he is Santa Claus. (laughs) Yeah. Someone said last week they cleaned out their chimney. Guy says you can never be too ready just in case. You know, the opening of that thing for some of, some of us, it's actually pretty small. And you're thinking about him coming down there, it kind of make you worry. And the guy said, then I ran across some timely advice, and it was this. What do you do if Santa gets stuck in your chimney? Pour Santa flush on him. Now that I want to, I don't want to cast doubt on the old guy or anything, but remember last year I calculated for you, in case you haven't kept the numbers in your head all year, the weight of Santa's sleigh loaded with one toy for every kid on earth would be over 330,000 tons, and a sleigh of that weight would require over 214,000 reindeer and one Rudolph to pull it. They'd have to travel 3,000 times the speed of light, and they'd have to make 823 visits per second. You're all impressed, aren't you? You're you're thinking, this is really great how he does all that. Well, maybe you have not heard the story of the paramedic who lived down in a southern state somewhere. His name was Rick, and a few years ago he answered a call about a man who had a head injury, and it was uh, sustained when some teenagers were throwing eggs at cars, and the egg had apparently gone through the open window of the man's car as he's driving about 45 or 50 miles an hour, and he had a large swelling on his forehead. Not knowing how to record it in the official report, Rick described the incident as, quote, an eggnogging. Now, I know many of you are still laughing. You just got the first one I told. It'll be noon before you get the others. Speaking of what we call things at Christmas time, you know we need to rethink some of it. We really do, what we call people at this time of year. I mean, the the most obvious one to me is the wise men. I mean, everybody knows that the wise men are from where? The East. Wherever the East is. Here they are, living in the East. And it took them a couple years to get where they're going. And they say, we have seen his star in the east. Duh. And so we have come. So they looked up and saw a great star shining in the east beyond them far. So what direction do they travel? And we call these guys wise men. We should probably just stick with magi, even though it's so badly mispronounced. You just think about that. Think it through for a minute. But then again, as I rethought that, actually the wise men were very wise. Why? Well, look what they're doing. They're looking for Jesus. Why? So they could worship him. Hey, that's wise. That's wise. What to God more people were looking for Jesus? So they could worship him. And they showed up in Jerusalem, and their first question was, where is he? Where is he? And that was foremost on their mind. Where is he? September 11, 2001, a lot of people were asking, Where is God? In the first message of this series, we were looking at reasons to believe that always and forever, God is there. 
And that's all nice, and we packaged that together and grift-wrapped it and sent you on your way. But if God is just there and that's it, what is that to us in our everyday workaday world? There are plenty of people whose concept of God actually stops right there. Oh, God's there. He's there. Sort of like he created this whole thing, then he wound it up and put a forever battery in it and just let her go. If that's your understanding of God, then you need to listen real carefully this morning because the Bible paints quite a different image of the God we serve. In fact, just the very fact that we have the Bible to refer to this morning is one way that we know that God is more than just there. That he's more than just existing somewhere. He made it all and then just left it to do whatever it needs to do. From the very beginning, God has interacted with his creation constantly, and the Bible records a lot of that for us. In fact, someone has said the message of the Bible, of the whole Bible, can be summarized in three sentences. Someone's coming. Someone's here. Someone's coming again. Today I want us to look at the biblical message that someone is coming because that is the prophetic tone. It's a promise of something that's down the road. In part one, I, 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 I delivered that whole message from Psalm 139, and today I'm going to stay in the Old Testament with the exception of one reference. And I know you've never heard two or three messages on Christmas preached from the Old Testament before, but it's time we took our understanding and it's time we took our knowledge of Scripture a little deeper and made it a little more meaningful. Now, a good part of the Old Testament prophets and all that they wrote, a good part of that is about the future. So today we have an interesting advantage as we look at these, uh, these writings because we're already down the road. We see these things from the fulfillment end. We get to consider what they mean sort of after the fact. It's hindsight, and you've always heard hindsight is twenty twenty and all that stuff. So that's us. twenty twenty vision when it comes to the Old Testament, there really aren't a lot of mysteries left to, to solve or to figure out. So we're just going to look at that message this morning. God is coming. Now, have you ever had the opportunity to look over a beautiful diamond? You might pick it up, or you might just see it on display, and you want to look at it kind of from all different angles. You want to look at it from this angle. You want to look at it from top down. You want to turn it a little bit. I'm going to kind of use that analogy for a few moments because we're going to turn this message that God is coming and look at it real closely like we were looking at a diamond. And finally, we're going to take some time to see how it, it actually applies to us today and how it brings hope. Can I say this again? My message is hope for broken people. You know, a lot of people are broken when the Christmas season starts. They're broken all through the Christmas season. I'm not saying broke. Yeah, we're all broke now, right? If you've got any kind of shopping done, you're broke. I'm not talking about broke, broke. I'm talking about broken. I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about your bank account. And then there are a lot of people on Christmas Day, December 25th, who are broken. And they go through, quote-unquote, celebrating Christmas, but they're broken. And December 26th and 27th and 28th and January 1st and on and on and on, they're still broken people. And I think of that every time we get to this season, a season of celebrating, a season of rejoicing, a season of joy to the world, a season of just, oh, come all ye faithful and let's celebrate. And yet there are so many broken people. God is coming. That's that message. That is a multifaceted message. Just like you would say a diamond. Well, from over here, from this angle, it looks one way. And then I turn that and it looks another from another angle. So does the idea that God is coming into the world. God is coming. 
And when his airplane arrives, you're going to be meeting him at the airport. There's a problem. How will you know what he looks like? Do you ever go to meet someone at an airport or a train station and you didn't know who you were meeting, but you were going to meet them or you were going to meet somebody downtown or at a restaurant or whatever, and you knew the sound of their voice and you'd heard about them and you maybe had corresponded with them, but you'd never met them face to face, but you don't and you don't know what they look like. So you go to meet them. Well, let's use that analogy. The Jews had thought about this. When Messiah arrives, when the promised one comes, how would they know it? Can I just say there are many, many, many traditional Jewish people are still asking that question. But many of them took up the scriptures. Now, Keep in mind, we're on hindsight here. We're on the hindsight end of this. What does God look like as he comes into the world? Well, in some places, he looks like a conquering king. I'm going to quote some verses for you this morning that I think will help you a lot, especially if you like to take notes. First is Psalm 132, starting at verse 7. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with, uh, clothed with your righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One, here's the oath, one of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. And on to Isaiah 9, verses 4 to 7 are my texts for this morning, if you want to have one. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is Isaiah. This is Isaiah, 740 years before the birth of Christ. And, and, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. He will be called Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will, will accomplish this. Okay, so he looks like a great king to some. And when he hits the scene, all the activities of war and oppression end. And all the memories of, memories of being at war, being a conquered people will go away. When God comes into the world, he sits on the throne of the world. Everything becomes peaceful. Who wouldn't welcome that, especially in 2015? Amen? Amen. Then I go to Haggai 2.7, which says, I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now, there is something else that the Jews could look forward to. And that was the temple, which had been leveled, completely destroyed, was going to be rebuilt, filled with God's glory like it had been so long ago. That's what it looks like when God comes into the world. Talk about a Merry Christmas. But see, it doesn't end there. Yes, God is coming, but it's not just going to be power and majesty and peace forever. We have to turn that diamond a little more. Let's get another angle. Let's see how brilliant and bright it is from another perspective. And when you look from that other angle, to some people, he won't be a strong and mighty and powerful king. He'll be a suffering servant. Zechariah tells us that in chapter 12, verse 10. And I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. 
They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And again in Zechariah 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now, please understand, these are the kind of scriptures that the Jews had chosen to ignore. There were plenty of them, and a lot of them in this category, but the Jews just completely overlooked them. You see, isn't it a lot easier to celebrate the news that somebody is coming, and you anticipate when they come, everything's going to be okay, and everything's going to be just right when that person arrives? Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and Jesus is kind of questioning her, and she just, she's turning around and questioning Jesus, and she says, I know, I know that Messiah is coming. You can tell she had some teaching. And she said, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She had that great hope. Yeah, everything was going to be okay when God finally comes. You see, the Jews felt in their minds, this is why there was always just such an oppressed people, but they kept going. Their perseverance is like none other. They could endure a lot of hardship with that hope in their minds and in their hearts. But when Jesus began to plainly teach his own disciples that he was going to be betrayed, and he was going to be crucified, and he was going to lay down his life on their behalf, that didn't quite fit. Remember, these are Jewish men. That didn't quite fit their understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to do nor how he was supposed to do it. That had to be earth-shattering. Peter, and others too, but Peter just strongly objected. He said, no way, Lord, no way, over my dead body, so to speak. No way is your plan and the way that we have anticipated your coming and what you're going to do, no way is that going to be ruined. Oh, Peter, are you out to lunch? We can say that now because we're on the hindsight. We, we look back now and see how all this played out. So what they didn't understand is that Jesus coming into the world and dying for us was all part of fulfilling God's eternal plan. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas because that's what it's about. To quote Zechariah again in Zechariah 13 and verse 1, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them, oh, we're coming somewhere now, from sin and impurity. So he's coming. But that arrival meant more than just a conquering hero marching in and turning over the, 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 the Roman government and taking over control of the known world. He's coming And his coming is kind of a cloudy message until Jesus. Even all the teaching about his coming in these prophecies, it remained kind of a cloudy issue until Jesus. Have you ever wondered, have you ever stopped long enough to think about the the scriptures, the Bible that you have, have you ever wondered how people like these Jews who knew the Scripture so well, many, many, many of them taught the depths and the wisdom and the truths of these Old Testament writings, managed to completely miss the fact that Jesus Christ was their promised Messiah? Have you ever thought about that? How could they miss it? Well, Let me just, in their defense, say, wait a minute. (laughs) There's a lesson in all of this for us. Hear this. Knowing the scriptures well doesn't mean we've done all that we need to do. To have a close relationship with God takes more than just reading and maybe studying, and maybe even knowing, being aware of what's in the Scripture. Maybe you've known, I have in my lifetime, a few people 
who could quote scripture right and left, had read the Bible 50, 60, 70 sometimes, but they couldn't for the life of them explain what it means to show the love of God to difficult people or unsaved people. I doubt very strongly that they could even explain for you if they stood before you this morning the true meaning of Christmas. See, Christians, Christmas is not about gifts under your tree. It's not about being kinder than usual. Everybody tries for a few hours on December 25th to go out of their, their nor- normal mantra and just kind of be really nice, because that's the holiday of the year. Everybody tries to be really nice. It's not about getting things that you want. It's not about old, unusual traditions. It's not about carols, choirs, and cantatas. It's not about ingesting very large sums of food. It's not about, oh, this is the week, this is the day, this is the season. We need to be nice to our neighbor. It's not about the spirit of charity. It's not about holiday parties and eggnog or other libations. You can have one. You can have two or more. You can have a combination of all these things I've just mentioned and many more, listen to this, and not have a truly meaningful Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, Christmas is all about God loving you and me so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into our sin-cursed earth in order that we might simply believe on him And that we might be saved by his grace and be filled with his Holy Spirit and be empowered by his might and be in joyful bliss in the splendor of his presence in God's dear heaven for the eternal ages to come. That is with our Lord and Savior forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So let's have a true meaning-filled Christmas this year. See, lots of the prophecies are mysterious, and they still kind of present a mystery to us. And some of them take very close study to understand very well, and you have to know some background to even get into them, more so than I know even. And no prophecy tells everything there is to know about the future. Someone said prophecy is forth-telling. It is telling the news before it happens. Still, even in the midst, there's a cloudiness, and in the midst of that cloudiness, there's this repeated message, and I mean over and over and over, about God being on his way, coming to do something among his people. It is safe to say that prophecies are a ministry to God's people. Have you ever been able to endure something really hard because you knew Somehow, somewhere, sometime, relief was coming down the road. I mean, when you were in school, didn't remembering that Christmas break is right around the corner help you through that last week of school or through that week of final exams or whatever it was? Doesn't in a family anticipating a new baby uh, or a couple new babies? (laughs) Hallelujah, church! Wow, that was tepid. Doesn't anticipating that kind of thing help a family to endure everything else that they might have to endure? God bless you, Nikki. God bless you. Look, every time God gave the people of the Old Testament some view of a brighter future, it was an exhilarating encouragement to them. It just, it just, it just gave them like 40 more years of let's do this and let's get through this and let's whatever we have to do and let's keep moving and let's not stop. And let... Their enemies were oppressing them. God's going to come down and free them. They were exiled. God's going to come and bring them back to their land. Their land is lacking food. God's going to come and make it prosper again. They were in constant conflict. There was no peace. There's no peace today in Israel. Are you listening this morning, Americans? Even her allies are turning against her. 
even once sane nations who trusted and believed in a living God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, have turned their back on the nation of Israel. Shame on us! They talk about this guy in the White House or that guy in Washington or this guy in Moscow and that guy somewhere else as being the leader of the free world. The leader of the free world is in Tel Aviv. His name is Benjamin Netanyahu. And if we don't line up behind him, we're signing our own death warrant. We've got it half written now. You wanted a good Christmas message, you're getting one. They're in constant conflict. God is going to come and reign in peace. The news that God is coming is good news. What the prophets had to say about a brighter future was a ministry to Israel, and that was all pointed there in the Old Testament. That is the point of the old Christmas carol. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Oh, come and be with us. But I want you to realize that God, that God gave those words for us too. Maybe more so, and I am going to use one New Testament verse this morning. 1 Peter 1.12. <coughs> which says it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves. This is an interesting verse. But you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven... Even angels long to look into these things. Excellent verse, wonderful verse. Helps you understand prophecy a whole lot more to realize that these prophets weren't just talking to the people of their day about what was going on in their present day scenario, but they were talking to us. We have something in our hands right now that those people some 2,000 years ago never had. We have the chance to see how it all fit together. We can read the Old Testament, and some of you have told me, and some of you have kind of hinted that you haven't read the Bible, but you'd like to get into it, and we're going to encourage you, January 1 is fast approaching, that you start reading it right away. And some people say start in the Psalms, some people say start in the Gospel, some people say start in the book of Acts, some people say start, look, just start somewhere. And don't stop. Just keep reading. If you get off track or you get off schedule, don't let that bother you. Don't get all guilty feeling. Just pick it up when you can, where you can, where you were, and read it. Just read it. You say, well, I don't understand. Just read it. With every reading, you get more understanding. You go deeper. The Holy Spirit reveals more things. I'm still reading stuff that's as old as I am and older, and I still... Don't get it sometimes. And other times, something a light will come on. I'm like, man, I've read that. I've even preached on that verse 25 times. I never saw that before. I never realized that that's what that meant. Now, we have the book. We have the Bible. We have the whole story right here. They didn't have that 2,000 years ago. You can read the Old Testament and then turn over to the New and see how Jesus fulfilled those predictions that God gave to his people through the prophets. Look, not even the prophets themselves, not even angels, could fully appreciate what we can look at today and get an understanding of. That's phenomenal. So see, it's a cloudy message until Jesus comes. We have then a message of promise. So he's coming. What should we do about it? What should we do about this message of promise? First thing we should do is watch and listen. I don't know if you've been around the Bible enough to understand what I'm going to say just now, but I think most of you would understand it. And as a matter of fact, I know you would. Because it's very closely tied to our human nature. When I say watch and listen, I want to say that it's quite possible to ignore what we don't want to see in the Bible. Or, if we see it in the Bible and it cuts a little close to the cotton, then um, we'll go to the next book. (laughs) I'll come back to that some other time. See, everyone ever born who reaches the age of two is going to develop what we call selective hearing. 
It is, the, it, and it isn't the ability to hear what you want to hear. It's the ability to not hear what you don't want to hear. The great stumbling block that the Jews could not and cannot, many of them, thank God many, many, many hundreds of thousands have gotten by this and have come to faith in Christ, but many of them can't get past, is the idea of a Messiah coming who is a humble servant. They read and accepted all the passages that spoke about this great champion. huh? But somehow they didn't notice all the other ones that spoke about a humble servant. They read the scriptures, what they had of them, with selected vision, and they heard the prophecies with selective hearing. Now that just might sound familiar because we tend to do the same thing. We might read again, and then again, and then again, and maybe hear it taught or preached, the passages that speak about God's love and God's patience and God's grace, and we like all those, but we tend to dwell less, even preachers do, on the passages about God's wrath and punishment. We can ignore, you see, what we don't want to see. We cannot hear what we don't want to hear. Please, please, Don't fall into that trap. Please don't make that mistake. Because here's the truth. Every bit of Scripture, everything you find in this Word of God, is not only instructional, it is a personal invitation from God for us to know Him better and have a relationship with Him that will last through the ages. Second thing I'd say, if we're going to take up the message of, uh, of promise, is to grow to know Jesus better. And don't exclude the Old Testament prophets. Include them in your growth. Let them teach you. And here's why. Because they will reveal things that we don't know otherwise. For instance, if I read the story of Passion Week and all that Jesus went through leading up to his crucifixion, I I have a superficial knowledge of what went on there, and you would too. But let me tell you this. I get a whole lot better, and even, I'll say this, even watching a movie like The Passion of the Christ or something, you get a really, you get an idea, I was going to say accurate, but you get an idea of what it was like. But listen, I can better understand just how bad was that beating that Jesus took before being crucified when I read a verse like Isaiah 52, 14, which says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. He didn't even look like a human. And his form was marred beyond human likeness. I can better understand also the nature of the ministry of Jesus and what he expected to accomplish when I read an Old Testament passage like Isaiah 61. And the first three verses there read, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, just put in parentheses there, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy and gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I can even read the story of Abraham going to offer Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. I get a queasy feeling every time I read that story. I have two sons. I have three grandsons. I feel uncomfortable reading that story. When I recognize that Abraham's on a mission and he's going to offer his his own son as a burnt sacrifice 
And you read it in Genesis 22 and better understand the power of God giving his own son to die for me. Boy, that makes salvation come alive. I can stay right in the Old Testament. I can read the story of Hosea. It's a short little book. Read that story of Hosea the prophet whose wife left him to become a prostitute. And he went, and that's not the story. He went and bought her back. And when I read that story, it helps me understand much better how God has sought out his straying creatures, whoever they may be, wherever they may be, whatever they may have done, whomever they may have been with. He's still searching his straying creatures and through the blood of Jesus brings us back to himself. What a God we serve. Amen. I could even read the story of Jonah. How many? Are re- how, how, okay. I can read the story of Jonah. Don't you love to read that story? Say, do you understand? Do you believe that? More every time I read it. Why? Because there's more to believe every time I read it. It's more believable every time I read it. If you say, well, I'm just kind of, well, then go home and read it ten times. It won't take you very long. You see, I read the story of Jonah, and I better understand now how God's gift of salvation through through Jesus Christ and his shed blood is meant for all people of the world. Even after the great revival at Nineveh, Jonah still complained. Still didn't get the message. But you and I see on the hindsight can read that today and say, oh, God's gift of redemption and salvation and forgiveness and eternal peace, that's meant for all people, even the people you least expect. And then the third thing you can do with this promise is just keep working at strengthening your faith. What, 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 if, what if today... Get near the end of 2015, right? What if I stood here on this little podium and I said, um, in the year 27, pick a date, 05, 2720, 2725, uh, somebody's going to be born in a certain town here in Maine. Uh, that child's parents don't, they're they're not going to be from here. They're from away. (laughs) They got my own Bible half written now. And he'll be called, and I'm going to give him a name. Later in life, he's going to take up a certain uh, art form or trade or something. He's going to be famous for something. And I name, tell you what that is. And he's going to become really, really well-known for his ability to do this particular thing. Then sure enough, not you, but your next of kin, they're going to 700 years and a few later, they're going to hear the story about this kid that was born here in this town in Maine. Uh, His parents don't live here, don't live in that town. But they were here on vacation, and the mother gave birth, and the youngster grows up to do every single thing to the most minute detail that I had predicted right here today in 2015. What would the people of that day say about my predictions? Well, I'll tell you, because you're, you're a little shy. They'd be, they'd be absolutely amazed. They'd say, wait, you know, this was predicted 715 years ago. Friends, that's what ought to happen when we read what the prophets wrote about Jesus. Some of them in in excess of 700 years before he was even born. The place, the circumstances, the humble beginning. The virgin mother betrothed to Joseph. Um, all, the, all the details of it. 700 plus years before. See, 
Can I come back to my first message? Not only is God there, can I, can I just add one thing to that? I know it looks like this is not the truth and we just try to manage everything ourselves, but can I just add something to that God is there piece for you? God is also in control. I have so many people I, I talk to and they're just almost convinced that, well, it's just out of control. What'll ever happen? I don't know what's coming. I, I don't know what this world's coming to. I said, you don't have to know what the world's coming to. You have to know who's coming to the world. Mm. And let me, uh, let me also say that you're probably hearing a lot lately in the Christmas season, and you're hearing stuff from different Old Testament verses about God coming into the world and that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be called a Nazarene. He'd spend some time in Egypt. You see, that all happened just as predicted. And it will all happen just as he predicted. You see, Jesus himself fulfilled 333 of these prophetic utterings. He, he fulfilled them to the T. The final message of the Bible is that someone is coming again. See, someone's coming, someone's here, someone's coming again. And whatever God revealed about the future was true in the Old Testament. We can have confidence that everything yet to happen is also for real. The message that God is coming helps establish our relationship with him. It makes our faith stronger. Just knowing that if you die before he comes, you go to be with him, and if you're here when he arrives, you're going together. I mean, I don't think anything could be more, could be more solid. I was going to say solider, but some of you might pick up on my grammar there. I don't think anything could be more solid than that truth. That no matter whether you're here, there, or wherever, he's there. He's in control. He's coming. And he's looking for you. That makes my faith stronger. That solidifies a lot of things. I can leave some things undone and unknown if I know that. You see, we try to simplify it. We try to dumb it down. We try to make it so people who have never heard of it will, you know. But let me just say this. We don't believe in God just because we believe. No, we believe in God because he's believable. I talk to a lot of people. Oh, I believe in God. They mean I believe in a God, probably small g. I don't know who he is, where he came from, what he does, or why we, I believe in him, but I, it's kind of like a safety valve or a fire escape. If you get in real trouble, I'll pull the cord. That's the God they serve. I serve a God of love. I serve a God of kindness. I serve a God of grace. I serve a God of forgiveness. I serve a God who overlooks all my failings and loves me anyway. I serve a God who gave his very best as he promised he would. And that Savior laid down his life. Say, well, Jesus went into Jerusalem and they, and they murdered him. They didn't murder him. He, he, he laid down his life. That was all part of the plan, my friend. That you might be here today enjoying the salvation that beats in your heart right now. Hmm. So, can I just add that? For those of you that are fairly new believers, we don't believe in God just because we believe. We believe in God, our God, because he's believable. And his word stands true. And if you're ever up against it and think like you have to defend, remember, remember, you don't have to defend him because he can look after himself. But by the, by the same token, sometimes you need to get back to the word. And if you haven't been in it lately... Someone said to me not long ago, yeah, I, I don't pray very much. I never, I kind of forget. But I only pray when I'm in trouble. Let me tell you something, then you better get praying because you're in trouble. 
If you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. If you only read the Word of God when you have to get something out of there to justify your case or to prove your point, then you need more time in it. I don't want to be rough. I just, I'm just trying to... I just so believe this stuff. It's so fundamental to who you are, what you can be, how you can grow. Faith can be strengthened. And before declaring that this series is a wrap, let's be reminded of a couple things about Christmas and this message of hope. Think about it. Think about this. So, Jesus is coming. And he's coming with a purpose and a plan. Did you ever think of this? He could have not made the trip. He could have just shown up, but not told anybody. Just kind of landed here on earth and, you know, walked through those 33 years and left. But instead, see, I'm broken when I think of this. He chose to stay, to say a lot about it. He chose to make it known. He chose to have people heralding that arrival long before it happened. And it was and it is a message of hope for all people, for broken people. You see, here's the truth. That's all people, isn't it? We're all broken. We're all imperfect vessels. You have your brokenness, I have my brokenness. The person sitting next to you has their brokenness. We're we're broken people. But as Jeremiah said, he just took that hump of, of clay, took it off the wheel, reshaped it, put it back. He didn't try to just put a little crazy glue over that cracked part of the vessel. No, he remade that vessel. He remade you. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be made new. This must be something altogether different than you've been used to. And he chose to say a lot about it. It's a message of hope for a broken people. Folks, there's still broken people today. There are a lot of people right here in our own community who need to hear this message. Some of them are sitting in this room right now. It's the message that God isn't just out there. God wants to have a relationship with you. I don't know, maybe you're one of those. And we've all been there, and some are still there, so join the crowd. Can I just say that by his love, he's looking for you because he wants to have a relationship with you. We hear a lot about relationships today by people who haven't got a clue what a relationship really is. Their idea has been molded by the world. And if it's okay with the world, it's okay for them. No, 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 no. God wants to have a real relationship with you. You need to hear that God doesn't want you to remain in shackles. He doesn't want you enslaved. He didn't want his own people in the New Testament. He didn't want them to be in captivity. You need to know that message that God doesn't just create the world and then run away from it. He didn't just flip the switch and say, there, you're on your own. Oh, no. He's very much part of it. And he wants very much to be a part of your life. He's there. He's here. He's in control. He wants you to enjoy the most meaningful Christmas you've ever enjoyed. Say, how can I know that for sure? And how can I, how can I nail that with only a week and a little bit to go? Invite him into your heart. Discover the real meaning of Christmas 2015. And as I do sometimes, I'm going to close by saying, if you're so moved and so convinced that Jesus is the answer for you, go ahead and pick up that Connect card that's in a seat near you or maybe right in front of you. You don't have to fill all the details of that card, but just give us your name. Let us know that you're thinking about this stuff. And then you have several choices on the back. 
how you were greeted here today, and then your spiritual condition. I'm a follower of Christ, or I'd like to be a follower of Christ, and I want to be a devoted follower of Christ. I'm interested in baptism. I'm interested in ministry. I'm interested in learning more, whatever it is, and let us know so that we all can enjoy a Christ-filled Christmas 2015. God bless you. Let's listen to the message of this song. Love incarnate, love divine Star and angels gave the sign Bow to babe on bended knee The Savior of humanity Unto us a child is 